Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. You're listening to the Sharks Audio Network. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. With the 2022 NHL draft just days away, Sharks interim general manager Joe Will, assistant general manager Tim Burke, and director of amateur scouting Doug Wilson Jr. sat down with the media on Friday, July 1st to field a number of questions pertaining to the upcoming draft, what the Sharks think of this class, and more. Here is that press conference. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Thank you for thank you for doing this. Um, a question for for Doug Wilson Jr. and for Tim too. Um, you know how, how how deep is this draft? Just in a general overview, big picture. How do you how do you, how do you see this draft? How how deep is this draft? Uh, <clears throat> uh, just o- overarching things. I mean, it's a pretty it's a pretty deep draft in the sense that uh, there's more aspects to this draft. There were players that didn't play last season, uh, so they're older players. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't able to be seen last year. You know, we took a few OHL players last year that, uh, that played very minimal games. I think you'd expect to see a couple older players that were eligible last season, um, you know, move into this year now that they've had a full season. So it's, it's probably added to the entire depth of the draft, uh, just different ages of, uh, of players for this one, you know, 02s, 03s, and 04s. Is there a particular, area, is there a particular position of strength in this draft, especially in the in the first round, as you see it, um, is there kind of a maybe one position that's uh, maybe a little bit stronger than the others? Even if there was Curtis, I don't think I would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> what you know, I'm sure you guys you guys have talked about this before at length. But what are the core qualities, the intangible qualities that you look for in a player? You know, obviously you got you know there, there's stuff that you measurables that you look at, but what are the what are the other things you, you look at when you're looking at a drafting of a player, especially at a, you know, in, in a lottery pick like, like this year? Well, I'll lean on, I'll lean on Burke and Joe to kind of answer that question because they've, uh, they've been around for, you know, almost all of our drafts. Joe's been here for all of our drafts and Berkey, I think will be missed one. Um, so the experience that they have, uh, you know, meeting different personalities, uh, meeting people from different walks of life, um, you know, Thomas Bordelow's path to hockey was different than uh, William Eklund's path. It was different from Ozzie Weisblatt's path. So I think everybody, you know, has their own path, whether they were born into a hockey family, whether they picked up hockey at 12 years old. Um, I think just getting to know humans and their path and their strengths and their weaknesses um, and if they fit with us. But, uh, you know, I, I'd probably be more on Berkey and Joe on, on that question. Yeah, I think, I think you know, most teams will tell you they're looking at, you know, hockey sense, speed, adaptability, you know, playmaking, ability to play in all situations type of thing. I mean, they're going to tell you a lot of different things. Best, best player available. And then, you know, you always got to balance out your depth chart. But I think it's different for everybody. But 
you know, obviously skating and hockey sense is a critical things that you know, if a guy can really think the game and he's got speed, you know, that's a good start. Aaron? Uh, just a follow-up question. Since these prospects are kind of older and more mature, is that kind of an advantage, meaning they would possibly make it to the <laughs> NHL a little bit sooner than a normal draft? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, we, we've talked about this quite a bit, is that an NFL draft is different from an NBA draft. It's different from an NHL draft. You know, NFL drafts the 22, 23-year-olds going right onto the team and starting. Uh, NBA drafts, they just got the G League. So most, you know, NBA players go onto the team, but they might not, uh, they might not contribute as much as NFL players. Um, you know, NHL, the only draft pick last season that that played legitimate minutes was Cole Sillinger in Columbus out of you know what was it 217 or 224 picks so even if they are a year or two older um, you know it's more data for us but I wouldn't necessarily say that means that they're um, that they're closer to playing um, you know next season. Okay yeah this is a question for uh, either uh, Doug or Tim and yeah hello you guys hello guys um, uh, Doug actually asked you this, uh, I guess a couple of months ago, just what uh, number your list is at for kind of a do draft list, you know, can you say, is it, you know, hundred to 10 or whatever it is? Yeah. It's always around the same number. I mean, every team's got their, their different number on their list. Uh, we just, you know, finalized it with our Europeans, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it's, 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 a similar number to um, the last few drafts we've had right around there. And a question for uh, anybody who wants to take this one. Um, you know, right now you guys don't have a second round pick. Um, you know, I guess generally you guys are always looking for, you know, to, to get into that area, but is that maybe, uh, maybe in this draft a little more urgency to get into that layer of the draft or less urgency? Well, definitely. Think, oh, go ahead, Ricky. I think it's always urgent to get in there. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> Can't argue with that. <laughs> just, just checking if this draft was any different in any sort of way. And this is a question specifically for uh, Doug and Tim. Um, uh, we talked to Joe earlier about sort of the GM search and, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, how, I think Joe, you said, you alluded to something about how the, you know, whatever uh, you, or whoever you guys draft, it wouldn't go against whatever the philosophy of the new GM may be. So just asking Doug and Tim, have you guys, you know, spoken with any of the finalist candidates in terms of just, I don't know, just in terms of what they might be looking for in the draft? Have you kind of worked with them already in any kind of sense? No, no. Okay. And uh, next uh, question for me, I'm wondering, uh, you know, in this draft, uh, one of the big topics is obviously sort of that Russian factor and so much more so this year than in past years. And in recent years, uh, the Sharks have, you know, not shied away. I don't know if there's ever been a time when the Sharks have shied away from uh, drafting Russians or, you know, having uh, Russians as a part of the, the organization and uh, the prospect pool. So um, any uh, thoughts that you guys can share about that in terms of just uh, your direction with that this year? Well, we're, you know, as you know, most players that we're drafting this year, 18 or 19 years old, uh, the likelihood of them being ready to play is, uh, you know, usually when they're 21, 22, 23 years old, uh, th that's an eternity, you know, like uh, in, in, in terms of resolve conflicts and things that, that change around the world, lots can happen in that time. So while we're aware of what's happening in the world, uh, you know, and, and very cognizant of, of that, um, 
you know, these type of players right now, uh, it may not even be relevant by the time we get to there. So yes, we are aware, we discuss, we look at, at uh, you know, the, the benefits and the risks and everything in, involved with it. But at the end of the day, if it's a, a great opportunity, it's a great opportunity and we'll look at it as such. And uh, my last one for now, <laughs> uh, just another general question. Um, you know, you guys are a number 11 now. I just wonder about the philosophy here too. Is there a, a less of a maybe willingness to take a, a, a risk at number 11 in terms of the player that you pick as opposed to later in the first round where you might kind of go with somebody with maybe more upside, but there are some, you know, uh, supposed red flags associated Whereas when you're higher in a draft, you might be a little bit safer in some way. I mean, I'm not even sure who's going first overall right now. So I think, <laughs> uh, I think there's risk involved in every single pick. Um, I, don't, I don't think we see it as a risk versus reward. Every player has some risk and reward. And, um, you know, we, we're, we take best player available and, and that works with, uh, you know, trying to acquire the most talents possible, right? You know, as we mentioned, NHL drafted players like Joe just said, they, they usually don't join the team for a couple of years. So, um, I mean, you just, uh, you, you draft them and then, and then Berkey works with them and develops them and, and you go from there. So it, it's a long-term process in the NHL draft. All right. Thanks guys. Yep. Corey. Um, this isn't about anybody in particular, but just whenever you guys have somebody that you've already drafted, like, uh, William Eklund and Tomas Bordalo, and they play on teams where that have lots of prospects on them. Like obviously Bordelow's team, his last couple of years has been loaded with guys, but obviously Eklund's team uh, in Sweden has a bunch of guys who are projected to go in the top couple of rounds this year. Just how, how much more do you, does your organization see those players because you're also keeping tabs on your guy versus a prospect who's on a team that you have no connection to? Well, I, I think we see those guys quite a bit because we're obviously watching tape and, and watching our own players uh, when we go in and see them. Having said that, those players, you know, Thomas Bordalo and William Eklund were, were very high-end players who played in all the top tournaments on national teams. Um, so, you know, we go in and see them, but there's probably 17 other teams that have prospects on those teams or in those tournaments. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's like a huge advantage. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we watch all the players closely and we'll ask our own prospects, you know, who they played against, who they played with, and, and just try and get as much data as possible for the draft. And then also just a kind of a general thing, like you guys mentioned, like there were guys that didn't play at all the one year, just the past basically three years of these kids who are 17, 18 years old. It's just been so different than anything that anyone else has ever gone through before. Do you, do you notice that? Do you notice there are guys that maybe don't look as, you know, they, maybe this class just doesn't look the same as one from five or six years ago because of the pandemic? Yeah, I think every everyone, you know, there were different restrictions around different countries, uh, even different states and even different provinces. You know, I think that uh, we tried to do the best we could to get the information of the players and what their plans were. I mean, internally, uh, you know, Berkey's based in the East, I'm based in the West. We had different restrictions to go see games at different times too. So, uh, you know, we're, we're happy that the, that the draft is in person. We're happy that we were able to have a combine. We haven't had a combine for three years and, um, you know, hopefully we can get to some normalcy going forward here. So yeah, it's been tough, but, uh, our area scouts have been with us for a while and they do a heck of a job on background checks. So I give a lot of credit to our local guys to get as much Intel on what these players were doing during their, you know, shutdown portions of their season. Yeah. 
Joe, uh, I mean, how do you, obviously, you know, the Sharks have made trades remotely here in these, these last couple of drafts, but do you anticipate there just being a little bit more activity, uh, not necessarily with the Sharks, just but with overall with general managers around the league being on the same draft floor this year, do you anticipate there being um, maybe, maybe a little more trade activity than usual? Um, yeah, it, it always seems that when we're in person there, you know, everybody's talking to each other a little bit more. It's a little bit easier. Uh, having said that, it's, it's pretty, you know, uh, more methodical around the league compared to what it used to be. People have their value charts and they know what the value picks and they talk to, they talk to other teams all the time about, you know, moving up and down and around much more than the, the past. So in the past, you know, a couple of years, you know, there, there's been, you know, the, the analysts and everything will, will uh, come forward with, with potential trades. Teams decide to do that. We talk to each other. We still make them. We're making them over the phone uh, in the COVID years. We'll be back here on the floor. It you know, probably will ramp up a little bit in person. Uh, you know, I think uh, uh, this league, uh, you know, used to be kind of just sit till your pick and take whoever's there. And now, now you see a lot of moves up, move ups and move downs. And I think that's just going to continue to grow, not move the other way. I, th I think you mentioned before that you're keeping the number 11 pick. Is that, is that still the case or can there be a, a move out there to, um, you know, if you want to you know, try to get better immediately with get some immediate help, is that, could that possibly be in play? Well, I, I think you could say when, when you have number 11 pick, it's, it's an asset and it's an asset that you can use to, to make your, your team better in many different ways. Uh, we're, we're focused on the goal, you know, of that we do need to replenish with younger players and, and, uh, but it doesn't mean it, it's a younger player through this draft. It could be, you know, any younger player that, uh, uh, perhaps is, is part of something that, that fits within that. So that within our winning cycle, uh, it, you know, using, using that pick in a, in a huge deal, you know, that, that changes the trajectory is, is more unlikely, but, you know, it's something that, uh, again, moving up, moving down, uh, you know, staying within the range of, of young players, I, I would say anything's possible. And, and why wouldn't we look at everything that's on the table? But, uh, you know, as it stands right now is, is we'll, we'll go to the draft and select the player, but again, all the way we're, we're open-minded to any, you know, young player that we can grow with, uh, if that's, if that's even available in, in a deal. You know, I, the organization's hope is obviously to be back in the playoffs next season and be back in the playoffs for a long time. You know, with that in mind, how important is it to hit on this pick number 11? Well, it's, you know, history says like every pick uh, is you're, you're, talking about players this year born in 2004 some are 17 some are 18 years old you do the best you can on your due diligence between you know watching them play watching the video talking to them their parents their coaches their you know uh, everybody else there looking at the combine and you get the best information you can uh, to make 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 the judgment nothing is is certain but you know at number 11 that's a again a really good asset something that uh, we intend on and plan on that being a big part of our, our future, however we use that pick. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's still going in. That's a beauty of this draft and, and why it's always so fascinating is, 
is you're, you're picking 18 year old players, they're human beings. And, and then to, to, you know, do your homework on it, do the best you can and, and develop them, watch them grow into, in, into uh, uh, young prospects. Uh, how weird will it be or how odd will it be not to have uh, Doug here for this as part of this, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's been running drafts since 2003, 2004. I mean, does it be a little weird to, not have Doug at the table this year and, and Tim and, and Doug Jr. If you could maybe ask to answer that as well, would be, would just be a little bit weird this year without him. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it will. It's going to, it's tough because we were together for a long time and uh, Dougie did a lot of great things and he had a very good rapport and him and Joe really worked the phones and they had a good chemistry and a lot of things happen. It's, it's, yeah, sure it is. You know, it's, it, it's always tough when you lose somebody that you've been with that long. Was Doug a guy who liked to work the phones, liked to work the room a little bit? You know Doug. Doug was as good a poker player as there was out there. I want to ask, too, if you, if you don't mind, you know, you guys have had a history of, um, you know, finding some diamonds in the rough in the later rounds, particularly the seventh round. You've got three seventh-round picks this year. When it gets to that deep in the draft, um, you know, what separates one player from another? Like, what – what helps you pick out like, uh, you know, like a Raska or, you know, a guy like Blitchfield a few years ago, or, you know, even going all the way back to the Joe Pavelski, what, 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 what elevates these players when you're looking at, you know, guys deep in the draft like that? I think if you go back historically, like even, you know, it sounds, you know, we're trying to bring back some memories, but like, a, like a Joe Pavelski, like a Raska, those type of guys, you know, there's one or two guys that are really pounding and pushing to take these guys because not everybody saw a lot of them. And somebody really stood up at some point and said, you know, we got to find a way to take this guy. And it's, it's more, you know, I've been through a lot of drafts and seen a lot of things, but it really is, it's one, it's, it's not one person seeing them, but it's one person that will not leave the draft without this guy. And maybe they get a lot more cocky or whatever because it's later in the draft, but it doesn't matter. It, it, it's, it, it's been some calls from like Dougie really liked Raska a lot and he kept pushing for him and pushing for him. We found a way to get him and you go back to some of the other guys like a Pavelski, Pat Funk was pissed off for four rounds. We should have taken him. And there's a, there's a, but I think a lot of it is that certain guys in certain areas don't see all the other players and there's certain players they see that they won't let go of. And, and sometimes you got to get lucky too. Yeah. Just to jump on that a bit. I want to, I want to mention that we've got uh, two scouts, Jill Cote and Brian Gross, who've been with us for a long time. And, you know, they might be retiring at the end of this draft and they, they have been with us for forever and they are perfect examples of this. Adam Raska played in the Quebec league. And Gilles Cote, he, he drove around, he went to games. Um, sometimes I think, you know, you, you think it's, it's Berkey and I making the picks. Our, our picks are a collaborative effort of our local scouts. And the amount of hours that they drive around individually, um, you know, a five-hour drive in a, in a snowstorm for a scout is normal. And these guys work their bag off. And, and they do an unbelievable job in background checks, talking to coaches and teammates. Um, so when Berkey says, like, that they're pounding the table – they're pounding the table because they've put in the work. And I, I have to give a lot of credit to those guys. Um, uh, you know, Gilles Cote and Brian Gross have, have been phenomenal for us. And, and they have found those guys. Gilles Cote, like I said, found Raska, was there for Timo Meyer. 
Um, when our local guys pound the table and they start getting rattled, you know that we have to pick them. Otherwise, they won't talk to us the rest of the year. So it's, uh, it's a lot of the local scouts um, get the credit for that. All right. Thank you, guys. Okay. A uh, question for uh, Joe. Um, William Eklund has said that uh, he's, you know, going to play in a, in a World Junior Championships. Um, you know, he also was selected for the team, obviously. Um, Thomas Bordolo was selected for the selection camp, and so they haven't, you know, decided their team yet. But will Bordolo uh, be uh, allowed to play if Team USA picks him? Yes, from us, they they will be allowed to play. Uh, uh, and and you know, we view this as you know, number one is is you know Thomas's situation with uh, uh, some of the, the COVID problems they had uh, uh, with Team USA uh, last couple of years here, and uh, he was not able to play. So uh, he has yet to play in a in a uh, World Junior tournament. So um, you know we thought it'd be a, a great opportunity there if that all works out. Uh, the other part is with with a, a new GM coming in too, it's opportunity for him to see these players as we saw them when we selected them amongst their peer groups, the best in the world at that age. And that's one of the things, you know, I, I stressed with both of them and the representatives is is that's that's the way we're we're strongly leaning towards is having you play in these tournaments and uh uh you know as a setup for the not only the GM to watch them but you know, we missed a lot of hockey during COVID and it's always good to, to play against your, your peer group, you know, to, it's, it's kind of that little measuring stick of, of how you're doing against players, your age and, and, and the ability for them. A lot of times they come in here and, and, you know, they're, they're uh, the youngest guy here and, and trying to catch up, but there they can be a premier guy. So that's, uh, and, and one of the best tournaments in hockey, one of the best tournaments in the world. So uh, the answer is yes, and, and uh, uh, it wouldn't be surprised if both guys are in that tournament. And uh, how do you, uh, I guess, balance? You know, obviously, the uh, WJC usually isn't in August, but, um, you know, development camp in July, uh, the World Juniors, September, the rookie faceoff, and then training camp, just, uh, ho- you know, actual hockey on the ice versus development off the ice. Well, hockey is hockey. You know, it's, it's – uh, at that age and getting as many games in as, as you can, uh, uh, just just playing in those games is is huge for development. Uh, you know, everybody now has you know uh, extensive uh, strength and physio staffs, and including the national teams there. So you know, I've I've talked to both uh, um, both players just about that of of making sure that that they not only are working with these teams, but they continue their summer training, you know, looking ahead to the, uh, uh, to the NHL camp and, and, and coming in and, and being ready for that and which they will. So it's, it's, it's something, uh, they're, they're going to get some bonus hockey in, uh, they're going to make sure that their training is in sync with what they need to do to be ready for camp. And, and we think that they both can coexist. And a, f- a final question for uh, for all of you guys. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Jules Cote is a pretty flashy dresser. So what do you guys expect out of him in uh, Montreal if it is indeed his last draft and in his hometown? Cannot wait. Cannot wait to see. There's got, Berkey, what, pinstripes? Maybe? There's oh, yeah, got to be something. He's got to have a big-time suit. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of pressure on him then. Oh, he yeah. upped his game. Yeah, Shang, we'll, we'll tell you, there was one draft. What, I, I can't remember which draft it was, Joe. Maybe you remember it. But there was a draft, like, recently in the last four or five years where Jill's bag got lost. And I think we were trying to figure out, how are we going to get Jill's a suit? Like, he needed a suit. And his bag came maybe a couple hours before the draft because the draft's at night. 
But there was like three days where Rougel was freaking out. We're trying to talk to him about his list, and he he couldn't even function. He had he had no coach. He couldn't find a suit. I want to say it was New Jersey, maybe, but it was yeah. That's Joe is the best. Well, you know, if you don't look the part, you know, from the beginning, you know, kind of throws you off, rattles you, you know. So yeah. Well, if you've ever seen the Quebec League draft, you, you'll know the the Quebec League youth draft. They got fireworks and a red carpet, the whole thing. They they do it right. That wraps up our pre-draft press conference with interim general manager Joe Will, assistant general manager Tim Burke, and director of amateur scouting Doug Wilson Jr. Be sure to check out the Sharks Audio Network for new content coming your way all summer long. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. Okay, here it is. If the Sharks score here, they win the game. And it's Thomas Bordalo for his very first career shootout attempt. Bordalo stick handles to the right. He's down the right boards, he's moving out to the slot, he's stick handling, he waits, he digs, he shoots, he scores! Thomas Bordalo scores in the shootout and check out the Sharks bench, they're flying out to congratulate a man who wears number 23, the same number that Barkley Goodrow wore in the playoffs in game seven, and Bordalo wins it in the shootout for the Sharks. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yend.